Tom Brady has become Thanos as he grabbed yet another Super Bowl ring to place on the Infinity Gauntlet. We'll discuss that along with the NBA trade deadline and all the wonderful news and stories that came out around that. And that's right, Anthony Davis is not a Laker. Then we decided to discuss a little bit about Major League Baseball, all the different rule changes out there along with some of the remaining hot stove topics. Anyway, this is the We Don't Know Sports Podcast. Stay tuned. Well, we are about a week removed from the big game, the Super Bowl. It's all in the rearview mirror. And honestly, we were all a little exhausted after last weekend, whether it be polar plunging or Super Bowl watching and alcohol-induced Facebook Live videos with random people in the man cave. We we decided to take a break for a couple days and reevaluated our position. And we're thinking maybe less is more. So this is our only show for the week. And I'm glad I gave Biggie all the time in the world to digest the Super Bowl. Honestly, I'm glad it's over. But congratulations, sir. Your New England Patriots are once again world champions. Thank you very much. I'm glad you got on board. Came around the AFC Championship game. Started rooting for the dynasty to end all dynasties. I will say this. Had we tried one earlier in the week, I don't know if I'd have been capable of uh, participating. Well, to correct you on one thing, I, I did not start rooting for the Patriots at all. I simply <laughs> just said I thought they were going to win, and, and they did. And the one thing I got right, as ugly and painful as it was, it was a defensive game. A battle that not many were expecting with as high as the scoring was during the regular season. And both defenses had shown times that they could play well, but nobody was expecting the over-under to be under by 40 points. You could actually make the case for the uh, Patriots punter to be the MVP. He wasn't on the list, though. Because he, uh, he pinned him inside the five over and over again. So if you made that argument, no one could really debate it. I mean, that's how boring that game was. I mean, two takeaways I have is we're now celebrating uh, Mr. PED himself for uh, Super, Bowl, Super Bowl MVP. And also, uh, I can't get over the, uh, the mouth love that he shows to uh, Tom Kraft, and that's Tom Brady. Uh, I... I- so you're talking about the possibly open mouth kiss yeah. between Bob Kraft and Tom Brady. And as this thing kind of got legs and became a story, apparently this was not the first time. Uh, that That's, that's I guess, unity? Uh, that's something. The the thing, though, that, that really surprised me is you're right on about the punter, and everyone lost their mind because at halftime people were, like, trying to put in their vote for who they wanted, and the punter is not on the list. You cannot vote. For the punter to be Super Bowl MVP. The NFL will not have it. I thought Stephon Gilmore really deserved MVP out of anybody on the field. He was solid all night long. Edelman got it kind of by default. Solid game on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, he had 10 catches for 160 yards. P-E-D. P-E-D. Now everybody wants him in the Hall of Fame. Well, I'm not hating on Edelman for winning the MVP but it wasn't a game-changing, life-changing performance. Uh, Getting those four games of the season, the four games he missed to start the season gave him that extra juice to be ready to take over the Super Bowl (laughs) and earn MVP. Wait till he goes through the off-cycle in the off-season and he comes back weighing 25 pounds and only 25 pounds more with uh, 
three or four percent body fat. He's going to be jacked and shredded. Look at these traps. All I'll say about the possible kiss from Brady to his owner, depending on the angle, is that big old Vince Wilfork used to give Mr. Kraft a kiss on each cheek. Tommy Boy just cheek. picked up there. That's where uh, the winners do it nowadays. Um, all right. Well, you can have your Patriots then because, <laughs> like, I'm not here to – to cast judgment or anything, but that was uh, that was more than a kiss on the cheek. There's something going on there, and I, I would be, you know, a little upset over favoritism in the locker room. <laughs> well, <laughs> from the angle that they showed us, you couldn't tell if it was or not. Maybe it was. Maybe they got real close to talk to each other. Of course, the media and everybody's going to make it out in a negative light if they can because they hate the Patriots. You either love them or you hate them. Guess what? Six rings that didn't take long no it didn't <laughs> I, I guess for a super bowl he wants to drop that quick and get it out of the way the um that you know the, the thing for me i will say this they are the greatest dynasty of modern sports to do it in the salary cap era and all those things and everyone knows the answer on how to beat them and the rams played the defense they needed to to win the game they just got out coached they couldn't do anything on offense and what what happened to Todd Gurley? That's the biggest question to me coming into it. Two weeks off, I felt like you were going to see the Todd Gurley you did in the divisional round where him and C.J. Anderson kind of both ran wild on the Cowboys, and he just didn't seem to be a part of the game plan at all, which completely benefited the Patriots. So as we get into the offseason, you think that he ends up needing a knee surgery that they just never disclose? I think so because, I mean – and then, and that's on McVeigh because either if he's if he's hurt and they didn't just uh, share that and they uh, just let him play, that's a problem. I, I don't know. I think it was just a mismanaged thing. I, golf's not a type of quarterback that can can carry a team. He has to have that running game to supplement what he's trying to do. So golf's just not that type, and uh, they exposed him pretty bad. He definitely didn't look like the type. I mean, he, they were they were terrible. I mean, was this the worst Super Bowl that you guys remember watching? To me, the uh, Giants-Ravens Super Bowl early 2000s was worse. At least this game, 3-3, three to three, tie game, fourth quarter, seven minutes left. You can say that you hate it because the scoring is up throughout the season and it wasn't in this game, but there's a lot of plays in that game that here or there could have turned the tide of the game. Tie game, fourth quarter. I know it was low scoring, but we've seen a lot worse games. I think it's the worst game, not just because of the low scoring. I mean, obviously, in my opinion, the game was very boring. The commercials sucked. The halftime show sucked. So I guess for me, the all overall Super Bowl Sunday was just god-awful, and it's something I hope to forget very soon. We did have a good taco bar, though. The taco bar was the best part of Super Bowl Sunday, in my that opinion. That was the redeeming quality. The, the one thing I, I will say about the Super Bowl – and a lot of people are throwing a lot of shade out there because everyone's saying the game was bad. Shut up. You should just enjoy football. That's what it is. Like, look, I was the one calling for a defensive game. But there is a difference between a defensive game and offensive ineptitude. And and what we saw during streaks of that was offensive ineptitude. It was terrible. I mean, it was just awful. And just going back to the, the potential – MVP, he didn't win. Mahomes did, which is no surprise. But how 
how do you not give Todd Gurley the ball unless it's an undisclosed injury? And then, you know, that's a shame on you for not reporting it. But after all, all that's said and done, your favorites for next year's Super Bowl are the Kansas City Chiefs and possibly the Rams or the Saints. So we're right back to where we're at. The The Patriots slide in there with a 8-1 to one odds as well. So they, they're not going away. So you can cue your stupid uh, bad boys for life song. But uh, the, the Rams, despite the poor performance, they are right back in the mix as far as odd makers are concerned. I mean, and how bad, how bad are Saints fans feeling right now? Because, I mean, you just got to think, if the Saints wouldn't have came in there and sputtered like that, 3-3, three to three, I mean, that makes it got to even be worse for them, don't you think? I mean, it almost makes you feel like they only put the Rams in the game because, you know, it's our new L.A. franchise and we need to help get that on the map. And they robbed us from the legacy game that we could have got from Breeze and Brady. And honestly, again, I still think the Patriots probably would have beaten the Saints. But if Breeze had the opportunity, let's say he goes and he wins that game, all of a sudden, the legacy and the narrative about Breeze, it becomes a little bit more lovey-dovey. I think everybody's feeling a little bit more love toward Breeze going forward because he just knocked off Brady. Yeah, as far as uh, the offensive ineptitude that was in that game, I didn't expect the Patriots to light it up. I thought they'd do better than they did, but Wade Phillips has always given Brady fits. On the Patriots' side of the ball, they did what they wanted to, put the ball in Goff's hands, see what happens. Um, I think that the NFL and their LA franchise being in there, the ratings showed that, like you just said, if, if the Saints were in there, it would have been built bigger. It would have been a better game. And the rating for the Super Bowl in LA was lower than the national rating, which is the lowest in 10 years. So it's still the same thing in LA. They haven't really completely embraced the Rams. And they'll spin that to let you know that's why they'll never play the Super Bowl earlier because no one will watch it when it's earlier. Just look at the West Coast numbers. Was it just me? It felt like that Super Bowl was over in like six innings of a baseball game. It was just fast. There, there wasn't a lot of penalties, and there wasn't a lot of scoring, so there wasn't a lot of clock stoppage. It just kind of bled out, <laughs> and then it was over. I think you guys are just – not looking at it right. I really enjoyed it. I'm That's not looking I. at it through the same perspective as you. <laughs> hey, here's what I'll say. If I weren't a fan of either team, I would have enjoyed the closeness of the game. One play here or there could have made a difference. But I would see the game as boring, too. Commercials weren't great. The game, it wasn't like it was 20-17 to 17 kind of back and forth. You had six points through 53 minutes or something, so... We had one touchdown. If your team wasn't in it, I agree it'd be tough to view it a different way. We had one touchdown. Do you know who the worst Super Bowl odds team is for next year? The worst Super Bowl odds for next year. There is one, there is go- one team that has the distinction, and before you give it to me, I'm going to let Mr. Brown know that your Raiders and my Bengals – are not the worst. We're next to that with 100 to 1 odds. But there is one team that has the distinction of being 300 to 1. I was going to guess the Arizona Cardinals. All right. What's your guess, Mr. Brown? That's a tough – New York Giants. So the Giants are actually a 40 to 1. Wow. 
They must really think they're going to find some home run quarterback in the draft. The Cardinals are in the same boat with the Bengals and the Raiders, along with the Lions and the Redskins. But the Miami Dolphins. They're the worst? They are the 300 to 1 odds. Wow. I don't That's see surprising that. to me. That's why That's Adam Gaze was as good as he was. <laughs> He'll be looking down on him from that life. So probably even more exciting. Well, not exciting. It's kind of tragic and terrible, and you know, I, I don't really know all the details yet, and maybe you guys don't either. But we have a uh, another wonderful off the field NFL story. Did you did you see the report out about Antonio Brown and his uh, time in Florida? What was it? The uh, uh, domestic uh, violence thing that came out. No, I haven't seen that. I've been trying not to follow along with anything. Antonio Brown Devo related. <laughs> and lightness, Chad. What happened? Because I'm like Biggie. I want nothing to do with the Steelers right now. Well, I did try to unplug from the NFL for the most part. You know, I came back around a little bit because, you know, the Bengals hired a coach. So I was excited to see some of that. And lo and behold, there's a whole story out there about a police report with Antonio Brown shoving his baby mama to the ground. She only sustained minor injuries. So let's not. Let's not paint the Ray Rice narrative here because I don't think that's accurate. Unless the video comes out, then we can jump all over it. But it came out that he's also suing for full custody of his son, all kinds of stuff. He's just uh, absolutely done with this because of a domestic dispute. But you know how this stuff goes over in the annals of the NFL. They're not going to be happy about it. And I think this just really hurt his leverage to do anything he wanted to do. I mean, have you reached out to TMZ? Uh, you know, I, I tried to get TMZ, but they, they told me I was nobody. <laughs> they're probably right until there's a video to uh confirm or deny any allegations it's tough to go any further although just the rumor swirling really hurts any trade value or leverage he has well i don't think he's denied it i, I mean as far as i know uh allegedly is what it says allegedly he pushed uh Wiltress Jackson to the ground causing minor injuries. The report said the dispute was over reimbursement for the child's haircut. Brown was never arrested because the police were not called the day of the incident and Jackson eventually wanted to cancel the report. What's her name? <laughs> that, that's what you took out of that. Wiltress Jackson. Now it's important to get the name right because Antonio Brown has five children from three separate what? women. Channeling in his inner Ray Lewis. Now that's more of a T.O. thing, right? I remember seeing him on Dr. Phil. No wonder he wants to get paid. He's got bills to pay. Travis Henry? He's arguing over a haircut. You know things have done got serious. Yeah, that kind of blows my mind if that's true. How many millions do you make? And you're arguing what? I mean, $12 haircut maybe? Oh, you know, when he wasn't going to sports clips. But True. here's the thing. This is the NFL. This isn't Major League Baseball, the NBA, where you're making that much money and you already got, you know, five kids from three different baby mamas, but you're still showing up in your Rolls Royce or taking your helicopter to, you know, spring practice and all this stuff. Like, uh, You know what? When you look at some of the drama that comes out of the Steelers locker room, I'm taking a pretty hard stance right now that I think Antonio Brown and his Facebook live shenanigans just might be a pretty good, sizable 
amount of where this comes from. Yeah, you see the tip of the iceberg, and he's the rest of it. That's uh, a little over the top there. Almost better off to deal a guy like that for what you can get, why he still has some value as a player, because somebody will give you a decent pick for him and move on. Yeah, I think they need to get rid of Bell and Brown and just go from there and build it back up. I mean, it's not like they don't have Connor and uh, you know Smith Schuster now, so they they have they have pieces to build there now. So the NBA trade deadline has come and gone, and Anthony Davis is still a Pelican. Wow, that the the amount of stories and news and all the and man, LA is an absolute mess right now. I don't know if I love or hate the NBA trade deadline, but there was a lot to digest there. Well, I don't know if you all heard the story that came out uh, earlier today, but the story going around that the uh, Pelicans GM basically said you saw these um, crazy proposals going back and forth like I want six draft picks and four players and this is just nonsense obviously LA balked at that but then he finally came out and said after he wasted LA's time leading up to the deadline that he never had any intention whatsoever trading for this guy and uh, he's like you know you're gonna you're gonna tamper with me I'm going to tamper with you, and now your whole locker room hates you, and uh, you're not going nowhere fast. Well, they do. They all The Lakers are a freaking mess right now because they basically had cycled through their entire roster. Unless you were uh, freaking JaVale McGee or LeBron James, you weren't mentioned in the trade at all, and everyone else was on the way out the door. Now, the thing was the, the Pelicans wanted not just what they were offering, but they wanted more. And, and I guess he was trolling him because at the end of the day, the Lakers weren't stupid enough to do it. And the Pelicans weren't stupid enough to take anything less. They realize what type of talent Anthony Davis is. But if you're the Lakers, oh, my God, how are you going to finish? You're not making the playoffs now. There's no way. No, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs now. There's a big divide in their team. I'm really happy that the trade didn't go down because it shows that the players, at least LeBron, doesn't completely run the league. My favorite part of this trade falling through are those savage Pacer fans chanting, Ron's going to trade you when Brandon Ingram was at the free throw line the other night and Lonzo Ball got to the line and nobody wants you. Ah, Much appreciation for those people. The the downside, though, is on, um, I think, Undisputed today, they had Lonzo Ball on for like an hour, and I could have done without that. I don't know why. I Well, I do know why. The reason why these hosts won't tell him that he's a big sack of crap and needs to shut his mouth is because they think if he's on TV, they'll get ratings. I turned it off. I'm tired of hearing about him. He thinks his son is God's gift to basketball, and he's terrible. They're throwing Luke Walton under the bus. But it doesn't matter because LeBron, the GM, and before anybody out there wants to say, well, it's Magic Johnson. No, it's LeBron. Probably the most apt meme I saw was where he was – putting everybody on the trading block. You're gone, you're gone. Even the one picture with his son, right? Yeah, he had his son sitting down in a chair, and he said, sorry, son, the Pelicans want you too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Pelicans were going to try to get everything. But the, the best part of the whole story is knowing that they were just trolling the Lakers. But you got to give the GM for the Pelicans an A-plus because bravo to him because 50K, that's nothing to the players because guess what? I got one better. It's not it, but you know what? Fifty k, and then I get to go throw a grenade in the Lakers' locker room. 
I mean, that's fantastic. They're out, cannibalizing out, each outstanding. other. Outstanding. I couldn't be happier with the way it worked out. Poop all over LeBron's face. He wasn't going to be denied, though. He did make a trade today. What was the trade Traded today? All-star rosters. He traded Russell Westbrook to oh, that Team Giannis. Did you even pay attention to that? The all-star draft they did? Hey, I saw it, and uh, it just made me think about LeBron and his inability to make the trade that he wanted to make. He wasn't going to stop. He was shipping somebody somewhere to make himself feel better. I mean, I will say this, Biggs. After looking at the two rosters, I mean, he might possibly be a better GM than he is a player. (laughs) (laughs) He's had a lot of experience at it. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I'm with you, I think, as far as the All-Star game goes. And, and you know what? I'll give the credit to the NBA for at least trying to do something different to, to make this game a little bit more watchable. I did notice that he did draft Anthony Davis. While he couldn't get him in the trade uh, deal during the regular season, he at least drafted him for his All-Star game. It's like he drafted a handful of guys that he's targeting to L.A. next year. You look at his team, it's like team recruit. That's all it yeah, is. Exactly. Like, I'm going to get like – Two days of these guys, so I'm I'm put I'm only drafting people that I need in L.A. Hey, and for the record, I'm team I'm team uh, Greek freak all day long. So uh, hell yes, he he's got to he's yep. got to pull this out somehow. I'll say this: the Lakers not getting AD right now. There's a chance this summer, depending on how it plays out, they could strike out on AD because he's got a year left. He could end up somewhere Boston, better deal. LeBron. Loses this season without running for a championship in L.A. Doesn't work out next season. All of a sudden, he's 36, 37, a lot of miles on those knees. Uh, Dale Dimps, my new hero. But here's the thing that we put out today in social media, and I I got all kinds of different feedback on this, and this is what I really wanted to talk about. Well, before we get to that uh, real quick, there's a few more trades that happened today. All right, well, it all ties together. So okay. let's talk about the trades. Who? What else happened today? No, I was just going to say it's uh, what happened today kind of reaffirmed my belief that the Eastern Conference is legit because the, the three biggest moves were all they Eastern Conference They just got dangerous, moves. right? Yeah, the, the Toronto Raptors got Mark Gasol. Yep. So if he's healthy, that's a huge deal because he's a good defender, good passer. He's a good ball player. He fits their scheme really well. So you got him. The Raptors got better. Uh, the Greek freak got uh, Nikola Mirotic. So to spread the floor Nikola. some more. So uh, that's a good move. I like that move. And then you have the, uh, the Sixers. Tobias dunk. Harris is yep. now with the Sixers. Yep. He, w- he he was the best player on the Clippers this year, averaging like 23 points a game. The Clippers are in the playoff pick. Yeah, I don't understand that trade from their side. But, I mean, that's a, lo- that's a lot of personalities in Philly. But if they could somehow put them off to the side, big if, they're going to be dangerous come playoff time. So you got them and Boston, the three I mentioned. East is going to be fun. One thing about the Clippers trade and Tobias Harris right now, they're in the eight spot. They have a deal in place where if they miss the playoffs this year, they get to keep one of those draft picks. So maybe that's part of getting rid of Harris because he is a really good player. But that's that was his that's their best player, best right? player. Yeah, I, I I mean, don't get but that. think about the East though. You got Toronto, Boston, Milwaukee, and now you have uh, the Philly, Philly. So I mean, that's four solid teams but, in the East. But does it even matter though? I mean, isn't everyone else just like jockeying for position for next year and the year after? Because is it a foregone conclusion? The Warriors are winning again? Absolutely not. I believe that it is. How easily do they work through the playoffs? I, I said that I didn't think the Warriors or the Lakers would win this year. And I'm not like I'm not liking that statement now. As time gets closer, I, I just feel like like despite 
the slight amount of turmoil you've seen out in Golden State, they're still like I, I man, they they are a hell of a roster. I don't know how you can beat them. I'm taking the field. So I'm down. sticking with it. The field. But don't know right now. Don't take the field. Give me the one team who in the East is going to get it done. Or do you think the Rockets are going to beat the Warriors? No. I can't give you one team. I'll give you two teams. I, I, it's going to be one of these two teams come out of the Eastern Conference between Milwaukee and Toronto. I think that Toronto trade where they picked up Marcus Gasol, that's huge. He is a really good player. He's gotten forgotten here the last couple of years in Memphis because they haven't been into the playoffs. But he's one of the better big men in the league. He can do it around the basket defensively. Uh, he's got a decent range on a shot, good passer. This is a really good pickup for them. I still think the Warriors are going to win. So I think when you're looking at all these trades, people are just trying to see what they can do to get ready for next year. And really, this is going to be an explosive offseason when it comes to free agency and whatnot. And that that's the question I wanted to ask. So you're right. It was worth bringing up all the trades because it kind of helps create you know what we're looking at. But my question is, and this is what we put out there today, has the NBA lost control? Are the players in too much control, and is it ruining the game? Because now, like like we talked about with AD, what's $50,000 for tampering, right? It's nothing. So he can kind of do what he wants to try to negotiate his way out of New Orleans, and these teams are left with almost nothing. Like just even though like the Pelicans had to demand a king's ransom, they, they went so over the top they knew nobody would accept it, and the Lakers still kept talking to them. They end up trolling them at the end. But what in the world are you possibly going to get? Because at the end of the day, you're going to have to trade him for something. And he's only got another year left on his deal, right, after this year because he's on his rookie contract? Yeah, I mean, but have you seen the deal that Boston's willing to offer, supposedly? But he don't want to go to Boston. I know, but they're still willing to give the pieces and trying to work it out. So it's kind of taking that chance like what Oklahoma City did Correct. with uh, Paul George, right? Yeah. So they're, they're talking about giving up uh, Tatum, uh, Smart, and then there was another piece they added Is that in. worth it, though? And a few picks, even. I mean, that's but that's how Boston has made their identity over the last. I couple don't think years. it's worth it to, worth it to Boston unless he would uh, commit to re up and when the deal's made. If if he's not re up, and absolutely, because I would keep Kyrie's out of there too, right? Oh, he's gone. Right. So I mean, you're, well, you're not getting anything for him. Kyrie and AD are really close. So one of the rumors they thought if they could get AD in there it would give them a better chance to get Kyrie to stay long term. And if they had them both for the next four or five years, they could part with a piece like Tatum then. Yeah, it was Tatum, it was uh, Smart, and it was Horford. That's who it was. And a few draft picks. Regardless of that, my point that I was bringing up is if you go back over the past few years, has player collusion not taken control of how free agency and trades are being conducted? Oh, yeah. Players run the league. That's what makes it tough. These guys are sitting on millions and millions of guaranteed money and when they get that money from a team and all of a sudden they don't like how it's working out, hey, uh, I'm not going to resign here. Oh, my ankle hurts. I'm not going to play. They force a trade, and by forcing a trade, they hurt the leverage of the team to get fair value back for them. Oh, they do. And then, like, the the thing that kills me is, like, it was news to report that Anthony Davis said, well, I'm going to play the rest of the year. Like, why is that news? That's the team you're on. Just because he said he wanted to be traded because – you had the stuff happen with Kawhi Leonard where he just quit playing. Like, this stuff is getting ridiculous. I mean, but that's what we've came down to. Now, that's what that's a big, big story. I mean, and like you, like you touched on with uh, 
Mr. Ball today on ESPN, right? Yeah. It was Fox Sports, right? It was Fox Sports. But so uh, he's on there being an idiot like normal. But, I mean, he was even saying, my son don't want to play for New Orleans, you know, and all this stuff. And I'm sitting there thinking, he's going to play where they tell you to play. It's your second year in the league. You haven't done crap. Be lucky you're on a team because you can't shoot free throws, shoot threes. You can't do anything. And he's got your stupid old man in the background always screwing things up for you. Nobody in the world wants Lonzo Ball on their team. And nobody's buying that ball or brand crap. So just put it, put it to bed. Nobody wants kids. that freaking train wreck. Be glad New Orleans would take you. But the, the, you know what I hear about LeVar Ball in this all the time? Ain't the right coach for my kid, this, that, and the other. Your kid's a point guard shooting 41% for the line. Who was his coach his whole life teaching him how to shoot when he was a kid? Shut up. He should be shooting 70% or higher if he's going to be a point guard in the NBA. Does he really only shoot 41% from the line? Shaq is a better free throw shooter per percentages than LeVar Ball. Or oh, if LeVar is listening out there, the one thing you should know is I didn't even realize your son sucks so bad at free throw shooting because he's nobody. I mean, we should get him on the show. We probably could. Yeah. He that, likes the free publicity. Oh, and he loves talking about Big Baller brand. But that's the point is your son's been in the leagues his second year, and now we're telling everybody where we're going to play professionally. And, and, like, what happened is just honoring contracts. Like and, and, like, it's different in the NFL because I get why people want to hold out and people get upset and things like that with the contracts because it's not guaranteed. It, NBA is fully guaranteed. Right. Like, it is. Like, this whole thing, this coordination, the, 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 it, it's collusion. Like, if you don't like it, play your contract and then leave. Right. Then like, go where you want. Quit, quit running your mouth. And the thing is, like, the, the reason why they do it, this is why they've done it. The, the collective bargain agreement, the way they do these rookie contracts is backfired because you have that final year of the deal where you can do that super max, right? So Anthony Davis, if he gets traded to the team that he wants to resign to, he can resign for $80 million more than the next best team. So that's why he's doing it. He's doing this collusion. So if he wants to go to the Lakers, you trade him to the Lakers, that's who has his original contract. So when he goes to the Supermax, they can offer him more money. Oh, that makes sense. That's because now that the uh, Pelicans kept him, they have the ability to do that. Right. And Barkley was saying, you're an idiot if you walk away from $30 million extra dollars. It's. I think it's more than 30 I mean, but he said he shouldn't leave because – I know it was Shaq that said that. He was like, you can't walk away from that. They own the Supermax. Right. And, they, and the NBA did that as a way to try to keep these small market teams from still being competitive. And like homegrown talent. Right, if you draft a really good player, like whoever drafts Zion Williamson next year, and if he turns out to be great, you want to be able to get him on that second contract. Because a lot of the kids that get drafted, they're 19, they're 20, they're 21. They're not not a lot of seasoned players out there. So when it comes time to get them, you want to be able to offer more. If If you're Toronto, you want to be able to offer more money than, you know, New York or L.A. can because you're the one that drafted them. So what these players are doing, and this is why I call collusion, is because they're like, trade me to the other team. Because if they trade me to L.A., guess what? L.A. inherits all the rights on that. So now they're the ones that can do the Supermax deal with Anthony Davis. Yeah, so you go behind the scenes. You get traded to the team you want, and you don't have to leave any money on the table. You force a team's hand because... I'm not going to go to Boston. I won't resign there. Well, we're not giving you Jason Tatum now. That's how they think it'll play out. Too much power to the players when they have that kind of guaranteed money. In the NFL, to me, it's a little bit differently. 
you see a big $100 million contract, well, $41 million is guaranteed, which is still a lot of money. But if you get hurt and they cut your ass, what are you going to do the rest of your career? Hey, I, I did like there was a comment on our page today about this topic, and uh, I don't feel like the tampering uh, punishment's high enough, like 50K or whatever it is. No. Uh, there was a, a recommendation on the page today that you know they should be suspended 10 games without pay. I think we should make it – they should fill it if they're going to like do this kind of thing. Make them fill it in their wallet. Do we get to suspend LeBron, too, for reaching out to all these guys and try to come to the Lakers? Absolutely. Oh, yes. Because, like, here's the thing. I'm all about giving power to the players. Like, I, I get it. But, you know what? It's then gone to your head. When you got guys like LeBron telling the NFL that they're slave owners or slave mentality and all that stuff, this is what's happened. You've given too much to the players. Like, look, I understand. They're the ones we're buying tickets for. They're the ones that we're watching on TV. I'm not paying to watch the owners. I don't care about the owners. But the fact of the matter is this. You've given them too much. Like, we're paying them for playing a game, and when you allow them to circumvent the system and go around everybody and create these super teams, like, look, how many people like Golden State the first year they won a title? Quite a bit of people, right? It was a fun story. How many of those people hate Golden State now? Oh, they're tired of the same old thing. They're tired of it, right? But you know what? Because Golden State was great, and you know what? Originally, they did it through the draft. They built it organically. Then they went out and got Kevin Durant. You know, that's the kind of stuff that's putting people off. Like, I'm not I'm not against the super team, but it needs to happen the right way. And these players going behind the scenes and forcing a trade and stuff like that, like, that stuff's got to stop. Like, if you want to hold out for a better contract, hold out for a better contract. You, you know, that stuff I, I, I have no problem with. But the NBA is taking care of their players, but right now they're taking care of them too much, and it's creating a problem. I mean, all I'm going to say is David Stern's not coming through that tunnel. David Stern's not walking through that door. Because, I mean, I love David Stern. Seemed like it was a tighter ship. Now we got Adam Silver. I'm not saying he's a bad, uh, you know, whatever. What's he called? He's a commissioner. Uh, Commissioner. Sorry. I don't think he's a bad one. I feel like he's kind of a pushover. And I feel like he uh, is the type of guy who's more worried about making everybody happy instead of making any kind of waves. I feel like he just wants to be a well-liked guy in front of everybody and his players instead of doing the right thing for the league. So so real quick, let's let's talk about this with the NBA. And and Biggie, I'll go to you after this. During the Super Bowl, was the NBA not on everybody's news radar because of all these stupid trade shenanigans? During the offseason, NBA has the best offseason. Because you have all these different rumors floating around out there. Maybe they're smarter than we are. As a fan, I hate it. But you know what? NBA, as much as I don't even watch the regular season, they've been all over my news feed for the past three weeks because of this nonsense. And we even pushed off doing our podcast to today because you didn't know what was going to happen on the trade deadline. For them... Any news is good news, but to me, Adam Silver doesn't have enough of a backbone. He's just a people pleaser because if you look back to when David Stern was commissioner and you look at your most high-profile player, Michael Jordan, when Jordan retired from the NBA the first time, the rumor is still that he was suspended for gambling by David Stern. You know, <laughs> you took your most high-profile player. I'm just saying he was willing to do what he felt was in the best interest of the league at all times. Not, let's please this big star now today, LeBron. Eventually, it'll be AD I need to take care of. 
But he also rigged the draft lottery. Oh, one cold envelope. Come on. <laughs> Still didn't work out for the Knicks. I mean, what kind of hype do you think there'd be today if Adam Silver lit, came out legitimately and said, uh, LeBron, I'm tired of your tampering. Sit out for 20 games. You imagine the the buzz that would cause. Oh, oh, that oh would probably God. be bigger than the buzz I just mentioned about how the trade uh, deadline radar has been all over the place and the offseason is exciting. Maybe like, sit down. Go attack your star. That'd be like that'd be like someone suspending Tom Brady for four games. That just means he gets the rest for the next Super Bowl. So that's good. <laughs> they can we get that rest. <laughs> you, you all can you all can go in four net division, still make the playoffs. So you're good. All right. Last thing on the NBA, real quick. I just want to ask you if you saw this. LeBron James today said that he doesn't need another ring. He's already accomplished everything he would ever want to accomplish. I saw that and I had to read it twice because to me it was one of those comments I can remember from him in his early Cleveland days where, well, if that's the worst thing people say about me, I'm fine with that. It's a, well, it didn't work out for me, so I'm just going to, I don't need this anyway. I'm just here because I feel like being here. I mean, that's the difference between him and Brady. Brady's six and three. He's been to nine Super Bowls. LeBron's been to six fi- or sorry, nine finals, three and six in the finals. If you're if you're happy with being three and six in the finals, you know, to me, you just might as well retire today because as a competitor, I want to have a winning record in the in the uh, sports highest field, you know, in the stage. Well, if right now, if you had Kobe Bryant in their prime and you said, Kobe, have you accomplished everything you want to accomplish, what would he say? He'd say, Hell no. Hell no. Three, three more rings. All right, if you talk to Michael Jordan right now and said Michael, you've you've accomplished everything. You're the icon of the NBA. Is there anything else you need left to do? Well, they probably said that when he went to baseball, and guess what? He came back and he put three back more rings three up more. on the table. If they strike out this year in free agency, nothing's coming through the draft. Those players have turned on LeBron. He'll be in his third year in L.A. before they're a serious title contender. He's done. You know what? This is going to be how we remember LeBron. It's going to be him going to L.A., and and slowly, methodically, plodding off into the sunset, not being worth a damn. You mark my words on this. LeBron to L.A. is going to turn into the downturn of the Lakers. They're become the second team in L.A. Jerry West made a couple nice moves. The Clippers have room for two max players. Guys don't want to play with LeBron, but they do want to play in L.A., Clippers are going to own that town. This has been the worst six, seven-year run in the history of the Lakers. It's going to continue, and it's all going to be wrapped around LeBron and his ego. Well, I'll give him this. He he wrapped uh, some camaraderie around this team of misfits tonight, and he beat the uh, Celtics in the Boston Garden by one point. So maybe he's uh, got him motivated. I don't know, but we need to stay tuned, see how this ends for them. Hopefully badly. LeBron only made one free throw tonight, though. I want to throw that out there. Of course he did. <laughs> so I personally have gone out of my way to tell you guys how much I can't wait for baseball season to start. Now, let, let's just let's kick it off here. Right now, we are in February, and the two big – we just got done talking about the NBA, you know, shenanigans with the trade – uh, situations out there and the way they do their contracts and supermax deals, all that kind of nonsense. Here we are in February. When do pitchers and catchers report? Less than a week. So, so next week. And we still have the two biggest free agents over the past five years are not signed. 
with Machado and Harper. They're still sitting out there. What is going on right now in Major League Baseball? They definitely underestimated the market, or overestimated the market, I should say. Um, the teams are getting smarter now. They're, they analyze it in a different way, and uh, you're not going to just throw all this money at a certain player when you're going to go through trades and uh, player development through the minor leagues first. You always go there first. Now, it's not like they're – it's not because of the money, right? It's because of the amount of years. Oh, absolutely. Like, they're wanting, like, these seven-year deals. Right. And they're like, we'll give you four, maybe five. Right. If they said, like, hey, I'll pay you one year for $45 million, there would be teams that would do that this year and pay them that much per year. I think almost any team out there with uh, space availability would give Bryce Harper $40 million a year at five years max. But these 10-year contracts, seven to ten years – Pool holes. No, they never work out. Owners are just smart enough. They're not willing to do it anymore. That's why those guys are sitting there. I'm not trying to sound like I'm a I'm, I'm a know-it-all with baseball because I'm clearly a not. But I remember when Pudgels signed that deal with the Angels. I was like, there is no way they're getting the return on investment there. And it, it went south real quick. Because he already had his best years behind him. I mean, St. Louis is coming out of that looking like champs. And They've, they've had several season winners after that, several, you know, pennants, and then now they got Goldschmidt in a trade, and he's like the newcomer at first base. He's and phenomenal. Pujols is a washed-up nobody. Playing anymore. on a team with Mike Trout. Yeah. Who might be the best player in the past 30 years. And now it's just wasted on that Angels team. It is, and that sucks because Pujols was amazing. He was amazing. And the fact is, just you know, it's hard to maintain that for an entire career. And once you get that, I'm sorry, and I'm not saying this about him necessarily directly, but once you get that 10-year contract, like how hard are you working? You've already made your numbers stirring you to that point that gets you a Hall of Fame nomination or vote. So money in baseball is guaranteed. It doesn't matter what you do years five through ten of that contract. The money's still coming in. I know as a Mariners fan, when we signed Cano, I knew it was a bad deal when we signed him. Then going to this year and he gets a PED suspension, thank God for the Mets because that's just another example of how horrible those long-term contracts are. Even with Machado and Harper being younger, mid-20s, I still, no way in hell I'd give either one of them more than a five-year deal at the most. Machado, maybe three years. I mean, you talked about Pujols and the 10-year deal. I would agree that most athletes would probably uh, not give 100% after that deal was taking place. But, you know, Pujols, I feel like he's a, uh, you know, a hardworking guy. I feel like I do, but I feel like his body just wore down. He's having all those foot issues. So, I feel like his body just gave up on him. But to, to the Machado-Harper side of it, you've got all these, like, this negative publicity surrounding Machado, how he's a bad team player. He's bad in the clubhouse, so that's a that's a cloud around him. You got Bryce Harper; he can hit home runs, but he's a career two seventy nine hitter. I mean, and we're going to pay forty nine million dollars a year for him batting two seventy nine, and uh, his WAR. I mean, I know people don't like WAR, but it hasn't been what you would think it would be the last few years. I mean, I, he strikes out a lot in big situations too. I believe me; I've watched him in the NL East year after year, and he strikes out a ton. I, I do like Harper a little better Machado just because some of the off-the-field stuff, or not off-the-field, but behind-the-scenes and 
career OPS, Harper's a little bit higher. But let, let's be honest, they're both phenomenal guys. You'd be an idiot not to want them on your team because the thing about baseball is they could be a selfish guy behind the scenes, but when you put them up at the plate at the end of the day, they got to produce. It's kind of like Pete Rose back in the day would talk about how everyone said he was a selfish player, and he his response was, well, if I'm hitting the ball, isn't that helping the team? And at the end of the day, it kind of is. I mean, I think another thing with Machado that's scaring teams away is, are the, is he trying to sign as a shortstop or as a third baseman? Because I will tell you right now, for no amount of money, sure. would I touch him as a shortstop? Now, he's an excellent third baseman, but as shortstop, he would not be a shortstop on a pennant winning team. The defense is so bad, the shortstop. You think that's one of the reasons why he's still sitting out there? He has a certain stipulation as to how he or where he will play for the amount of money he's getting? I mean, that it, he could be marketed as a shortstop or a third baseman, but if a team already has the need field at shortstop, you know, he's going to go third. If they have, you know, third baseman, he's going to go to short. But he's a bad defender at shortstop. So, I mean, to me, it's just not. Well, at the end of the day, he could fit either mold he if could, he had to. But, but I'm with you. He's not a shortstop. Winning he's, team will not take him at short. He's a, yeah, if you're already a good team, yeah, that's not the guy you want at shortstop. You you can tolerate him at third because he's a decent third baseman as far as defensively goes. You really want him for your bat more than anything else. The problem is everyone's sitting around going, these guys are overvaluing what they think they're worth because what they're doing is they're looking back 10 years ago and seeing what people were signing for and not realizing that all these teams have caught up with it and said, man, those were mistakes. We're not doing that anymore. I mean, like you still, like even outside of those two, Where's 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 Kimball at? Hopefully in Atlanta in two weeks when his price drops a little bit more. Right, because he wants a ten year hundred million dollar deal, right? Bring the angry leprechaun home. But that's what he wants. <laughs> These guys are overvaluing themselves like crazy, and that's why they're still sitting out there. How many years though, for the last three years at least, three or four years, we've heard about the first four hundred million dollar contract this offseason. It's not there. It's not happening. And, and and like it's not saying that these guys aren't worth the money. It's saying that teams are wising up and they're not worth committing to these long-term deals, which is great because, again, just like when we were talking about NBA, this isn't NFL. There's These are guaranteed contracts. Once you put pen to paper, you're stuck with whatever you signed up for. As a Reds fan, Homer Bailey had one year, and we gave him the dumbest contract in Major League Baseball history. We finally got rid of it just this past year. Don't repeat those mistakes. You can't do that. I don't care how good Machado or Harper or Kimball or whoever looks right now. You can't do that. The only winning team out there or a consistently competitive team that can afford to make mistakes on big contracts like that really is the Yankees. I like the fact those guys are still sitting there shows the huge gap between the owners having realized you can't afford to pay those contracts anymore, Stanton, Pujols, Cano, and players, like you just said, still saying, no, 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 people were just getting these contracts a few years ago. Pay me. But here's the thing about those teams. Like, look, they're not one to pay the luxury tax. They're really not. They don't want to go over that. And, and, and if you're the Yankees, it's easy to talk about what you want to sign because you still got Aaron Judge on a freaking – you know, rookie deal, essentially. I'm glad you brought him up because Aaron Judge is, don't care if they hit the luxury tax because his I'll move positions, damn it. Bring Bryce home. <laughs> but you know what I mean? He's not he, – they're paying what, – what did he make, a million last year? Oh, it's cheap, yeah. I mean, he's, he's getting nothing. I, the, the, the fact is that these guys are wanting that long-term security because 
if you're giving me $20 million a year and you're going to give it to me for seven or eight years versus five, that's what I want. The problem is not a single ball club out there has balked at it. So what they're doing is they're going back and forth between the San Diego Daddies and the Washington Nationals and the White Sox and the Phillies and all these other teams trying to figure out, you know, where can I get the best amount, you know, for the amount of years they're going to give me because nobody's given them anything over six years from what I've seen. Well, and he's got the super agent working deals for him, so him going anywhere for less is not going to happen. You know, it's going to turn out to be, well, I took less years, but I got the most money for those years or something along those lines. Boris isn't going to allow himself to lose face in this situation. Well, I mean, did you all see any of the the news that happened today? There was one big move today. You're talking about the Marlins? Yeah. That was was a huge move. Real Muto went to the uh, Phillies. Uh, probably the best catcher in baseball now. He's nobody not, knows him because he's on the Marlins. He's a, he's a great catcher. Um, he does it all. He's a good defensive catcher. He's a good – you can plug him in like the two or the three slot in your lineup. Just a professional hitter. Is he a Piazza? No, he don't have much power. He not, makes better contact, though. But uh, he steals more bases. But uh, the thing is, which, which wouldn't say a lot, but he's, he's at double digits on steals. That's impressive for a catcher. But, I mean, the thing is, watching him as a Braves fan, and we were in on him too, they wanted a little bit too much to give up. So the Braves kind of balked at the uh, what they were offering. Uh, I heard that, the, that they approached the Yankees, and they wanted uh, Andujar, and uh, there was another young guy that they wanted from the Yankees. But there was two yeah, solid traded enough to the Yankees. Two solid players from the Yankees, and uh, they are like, no thanks. Uh, but the Phillies got him, and they're – a lot of speculation now that that's going to be enough to re, uh, bring in Harper with him. And if they don't get Harper, they're saying they would possibly get Kimbrell and Dallas Keuchel to add to that, the two pieces instead of Harper. The MLB, though, is all about rule changes. And I'm going to say this. I'm going to preface this. All these baseball fans out there who think that this is blasphemy, shut up. There's been rule changes all the time. Every year there's something they tweak or they try out. Are you Trey it's, Wingo now? I don't know. Am I? Yeah. Am I being Trey Wingo? He is. Yeah. Yes. I, I haven't listened to, to Golick and Wingo in a while. But yeah. anyway. You didn't the, hear that. That's I haven't. Just, that's what you just did. So, all right. Well, I, I'll take it as being. Just shut up. <laughs> just shut up. Oh. The, the, the reason why is because if you go back. And I, I, I've told Mr. Brown. I've been watching Ken Burns' baseball documentary a lot lately. Baseball rules, they change over time. People that want to hold on to this fact that it's it's a pure game that's never changed since 1875 are out of their mind. This stuff changes all the time. But there are quite a bit of very, very powerful potential rule changes out there. You just brought up the potential of the DH going to the National League. So I got some thoughts on that. I'll save and, and wait till you guys go. But should the NL adopt the DH? Right now, I think the proposal is that they do it uh, regardless of the home field and interleague play for this year. And the next year, they would just do it overall. Everybody has the DH. Is the DH good for baseball? Is that something we want to see in both leagues? I think it's something that you're going to see, regardless of if there's any opposition to it, because – What's the DH do? Adds more offense into the game. Personally, yes, I'm a Mariners fan, but I love watching the pitcher in the National League as far as how the strategy is done in the late innings. 
double switch, moving guys in your lineup. I enjoy that aspect of it, but I think that the DH will be implemented into the National League. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to happen because, you know, offense sells. Um, but you watch a NL game and an AL game and the managers doing what they do, there's no comparison because basically in the AL – you take your pitcher out either when he's tired or when you're going to bring your six-inning specialist now. <laughs> but uh, NL, I mean, the the, the batting order and your uh, the, the position your pitcher's coming up the next inning could very well determine what pitcher you're bringing in next. And then uh, it's a much more strategy with the double switches and whatnot. The DH coming into both leagues brings into the double switch that we were talking about and the three-batter minimum was another rule they were talking about. You never have to worry about it in the American League because you're not trying to switch a pitcher from batter to batter. He doesn't have any spot in the order. In the National League, you burn through him. Then you're going to have him pitch for one. He's dead the next inning because you're going to pinch hit for him because he's coming up. I think that if you bring in the DH in both leagues, you don't need to have a three-batter minimum for pitchers. Well, and you're, you're jumping ahead to some of the rule changes we're going to talk about. Personally, I hate DH. I do, and the only reason why is because I think there's an element of strategy involved when you're having to deal with a pitcher, not just on your offensive side of it, but the defensive side of it as well. Like when you know you have a pitcher out there, when it comes to a certain crunch time in the game, even if you got a, a bulldog in there that you can get seven or eight innings out of, which, let's be honest, isn't the norm anymore in Major League Baseball, but I think it puts more on the managers on trying to you know, strategize around what they want to do. I, I'm i not opposed to the DH completely. And, and look, I know long-term Major League Baseball is going to go to the DH on both sides. I'm one of those guys that hates interleague play, though. I hate the fact that, that we have that. I thought there was something mysterious and, and kind of a mystique about the beginning. when the AL and the NL never played each other. And if you want to talk about all-star games and how much those mattered, when these guys never were on the field together, but then one night in July we'd put them on there together, that was unbelievable. So that's just my, my stance coming from it. But I think ultimately we're going to see the DH. I'm not a fan of it because I'd rather try to see the managers make these decisions based off of, do I want to keep this guy in? Do I want to put a pitch hitter in now? When you got the DH, it takes all that out. I mean, I'm not going to say, like, me watching the hitter itself is not like, oh, I'm drawn to this game because of that. It's because so much more than that and the strategy involved with it. Because you had people like, you know, today's time, like a Madison Baumgartner. And you had it back in the day, like a few years back, Carlos Zambrano. You, all the Braves pitchers handled the bats well. I mean, so the fundamentals were there. So I, they can participate in the game, but like a lot of the fundamentals are down today to where the pitcher's like, oh, I'm only going to bat one or two times anyway because then I'm going to be ha- jacked out of the game. So they don't really put any effort into the bunting or anything. So the skill level is way down. I do like the Carlos Zambrano reference. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> one thing that has changed quite a bit, you guys remember the commercial back in the early 90s? Chicks dig long ball. How can Pitchers we forget? I know Mr. Brown yeah. remembers that because wasn't that your boys in that, that commercial? Maddox and Glavin. Pitchers used to take pride in helping themselves out. You don't see that anymore. I remember like and Tom, I Tom this... Glavin would uh, he would slap on down the third baseline like over and over again, swing late intentionally, but he would slap singles all day long. I know this is a dorky thing, but see, with like two outs in the bottom of the sixth inning, a runner on second. 
and you got your starter in the game still, you want him to battle through that because he's up second the next inning. In the American League, they just go to the bullpen, and then another guy, and then it's another trip to the mound, and it's another commercial. There's just certain aspects of not having the DH that I love, but now having interleague play completely kills everything that I used to look forward to. So it's interesting you bring that up because one of the things I think you mentioned a minute ago was that they're talking about doing a three-batter minimum when it comes to pitchers. So when you talk about all the strategery, as George Bush would say, all these different things that go into baseball, do you want a a three-batter minimum now? Because everything you just talked about, about trying to, you know, put a certain pitcher against a certain batter and all these different things, we've seen it now the past few years where it's nothing to bring out one pitcher for one batter, especially when you're talking about a lefty righty situation, all those different things that go in there. Where do you, where do you fall with the three, three batter minimum on pitchers? I mean, I absolutely have no issue with that because I mean, just because they didn't do it, uh, you know, in previous decades, they would just let your guy go out there and wing it and see what happens. I feel like if you have, 25-man roster, which they're looking to adjust, possibly. But right now, let's say it's a 25-man roster. If this manager wants to use three pitchers for three separate batters and burn his bullpen up, and now he's screwed for the next three days, possibly, and the game could even go in extra innings, if he's making that gamble and he feels like that's what's best to make his team win, let him do whatever he wants. There shouldn't be a three-batter minimum because now you're taking the manager's rights from the game because that's what separates the men from the boys in the dugout. That's my opinion. So you started out saying that you were kind of not in favor of it. Now you are. No, I, I never said I was in favor of the three pitch minimum. Okay. So you don't like having, if, if you're okay, bringing somebody out of the bullpen and facing one batter, because at the end of the day, you got to make the adjustments with the roster, right? I mean, absolutely. I feel like the pitcher should be able to pitch to whoever the manager sees fit because he's the one managing the game. He's the one making the gamble, and that's it because he's the one that might have to live with it if it goes to over or uh, an extra innings. So, I mean, that that's strategy. Yeah, and see, when you change how many guys each guy out of the bullpen has to pitch to, that manager knows how the guys in his bullpen are sitting. Who can go tonight? Who can go for three or four batters who's only got enough in him to get this one guy out and then he moves on you kind of taken the control away from the manager a little bit and like you said all of a sudden you're making it more level level playing field you're taking the smarter managers who can feel the game and know their team and you're handcuffing them a little bit and i don't like it why because the speed of the game isn't fast enough find a different sport then baseball's anticipation and if you have the tools in your bullpen, just because your team happened to have a better bullpen, now you're limiting them because you have better matchups. So now you're penalizing the team with the strength they may have. Well, I, I think the the fact that you can have a situation where I don't care if it's one batter or not, if you have someone who can come in and get you that one important out in the seventh or eighth inning, there's nothing wrong with that. But if all of a sudden you switch it and you put them where they got to go through three batters, it changes the dynamic of the game. I'm not a fan of that. I think you should be able to substitute people at will. It's just like you can put a pitch hitter in any time you want, right? Why, why should it be different with pitchers? Now, the, the conversations out there is they're talking about going to like a 26-man roster, 12-pitcher minimum, things like that. Like I think, Biggie, you said it a minute ago, you know who's ready in the bullpen, who's ready to, to go out there and throw the ball. You, you might have a guy who only pitched nine pitches the day before. He might be okay. But 
to me, and this is the sweet part of what baseball is all about, it's all about those matchups. It's about trying to figure out where you can get an advantage. And if you got those guys on your roster and you feel like you can do it, then so be it. Do it. Yeah, to me, if you decide to add the DH into the National League, it's one of those things where it adds more offense, offense sales. I like the strategy part of it better myself. Uh, but I would accept it. The three batter minimum, just, I hate it. I hate even thinking about it. It's such a large change on how the game is played, and it's a pace of play thing, whereas the DH is a selling it to the fans. It's more offense, offense sales. I'll say this much, though, whether or not they change it, we'll all still watch. That that alone would not be a rule where we would sit there and walk away from it and go be like, oh, this screwed up baseball. This is terrible. True. We'd bitch about it for a while, but then we keep watching. Probably the most peculiar rule change I saw, and I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna preface it and tell you I'm not a fan of this one at all. But did you see where they talking about introducing an extra base runner in uh, extra innings? They started like second base or something like that. So basically, what they were saying is, if you got past the eleventh inning, they were gonna put a runner on second base to start the next inning. Just a runner there for no reason. Yes, you get a magic ghost runner on second. You get a magical <laughs> base runner on second base. I'm sorry, but that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. And you, I can't you, really give you much more than that. No, you want to know why it is? Because I guess they've tried it in like minor leagues in, in a couple places. So guess what happens on the first at bat in that 12th inning? They butt. They don't even butt. They freaking walk the first batter. They walk. So then that way you got to force out at every base. Because you already had somebody on second, so you walk the first batter. Oh, you're batter. saying the pitcher walks. I was going to say if I was the, the manager, I'd bunt him to third with one out. Right, but they're intentionally walking to go ahead and get your force at third, for, second, or first. Well, then bunt him again. Well, then you can. <laughs> I mean, what else are you going to do? <laughs> It'd be a very good bunter, then there's no force. Now, that's that's the one where I look at and I say, all right, you're getting a little overboard trying to control the that's game. That's terrible. Like, because only I think I saw a stat where they said only 7% of games go into extra innings. And outside of those, only like 5% go past 12 innings. But here's my thing, and I, I'm not trying to keep jumping in here, Biggs, but if you're at a baseball game, or even if you're watching on TV, if it goes into extra innings, no one's crying about it. No, no one's leaving the stadium. That's the fun part. Free baseball. It's free baseball. See, it's free baseball. Everyone loves it. If you play 16 innings, like the worst case is, oh, kids, you're not going to school tomorrow. Yay! I'm going to hate on ESPN and the Sports Center for a minute, but the second you get a game that goes into like 16 innings, does that not lead Sports Center the next day as being like the most exciting game the day before? Absolutely. I mean, there's no reason for this rule. It's like arcade shit. And look, if you're going to break out 15 different pitchers during a game, we can handle some extra innings. I mean, it's like if NBA Jam created a baseball game. That's what we're talking about. He's on fire. (laughs) But anyway, that's all I got. Sorry, Biggs. Uh, Mr. Brown, you said it perfectly. That rule is like something you'd see in an arcade game. That is just a bad thought. I can't say anything else clearly on I'm just that. calling it a ghost runner. Like, I remember playing sandlot ball when you don't have nine people on your team. And you do that. You're hitting, and then you got to go back and hit again. So what do you do? Ghost runner on second. 
That's exactly what it is. I mean, because you know when you're watching that game, all the all the fans in the stands are like looking down at the dugout and they're saying, "Wrap it up, wrap it up." <laughs> so do you get to pick like who goes on second? So like the Royals are always gonna like hold on to Billy Hamilton. No, I was gonna say let's take it a step further and uh, we're gonna clone Billy Hamilton. And every team gets a Billy Hamilton, and he's on second base for everybody, so it's, it's equal rules. It's like Oprah. Look under your seat. You got yeah. a Billy Hamilton. We got a Billy Hamilton. You get a Yay. Billy Hamilton. He gets a Billy Hamilton. <laughs> Biggie, you get a Billy Hamilton, and they start on second. <laughs> we might as well. Let's make it make it fair, right? That's what we're, that's what we're coming to. All right. So, so what? Go ahead, Biggs. Well, I say this: either everybody gets a Billy Hamilton. Or the opposing manager gets to pick the guy who goes on second piece for you. I, I got a better deal. Everyone should get a Sid Bream. <laughs> Sid Bream? <laughs> now, now I'll, if everybody gets a Sid Bream on second, then I'm fine with the rule. All right, how about the 20-second pitch clock? How do you feel about that? I mean, I'm kind of – I don't really have a strong opinion either way. I, I know they're trying to, like – Speed up the game, but right. like once again, if you're at the game, you're not really worried about a 20 second pitch clock because those games go by so fast, you're not worried about it. But even watching on TV, are you really thinking about that? I'm not. I mean, I, if if you're worried about a 20 second pitch clock, you're not a baseball fan. I want to see what Max Scherzer's face is when he sees that clock winding down. Like, what kind of scowl he's going to give? Did they put it in the backstop like a like a, a delay a game clock that they have for football? Biggs, could you imagine a Randy Johnson? You know, looking. Oh, I got to make my pitch. I got twenty second pitch clock. I better kill a bird real quick. <laughs> well, that's what I was thinking too. A Randy Johnson type. He'd just throw a fastball and break that pitch clock. Use it next game. We're not going by that. Like, is that what we're doing? Are we going to put it behind the catcher on the backstop next to the uh, random advertisement for the local grocery store that's back there? Yeah, the 22nd uh, pitch clock is presented to you by the local Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> you know, I get it. It's a pace of play thing, but they did a mound visit rule this last season. How many times did they get uh, the amount of visits that was the violation? Well, we were talking you know, about it's, we were talking about that earlier. So, like, they're talking about reducing the mound visits from six to four, and they said like not even eighty percent of the teams this year even got to five mound visits during a game, and that's another thing they're wanting to reduce. If you think about it, one of the great parts of baseball is how individual it is as a team sport. Some pitchers are just quick workers; they know what they want to do, they work well. Other pitchers constantly need to be coddled by their catcher and told what to throw and walk around the mound. That's kind of one of the joys of the game, getting to know the different players and how they interact and who handles the pressure better. That's the love of baseball right there. You can't try and make it 18 seconds, 20 seconds, 22. From game to game, it's going to vary. I mean, I'll say this. I mean, what the baseball is going to say is, is that we're trying to attract outside fans to the sport because you'll never see, you'll never hear or see or anybody talk about like, let's speed the game up at the 22nd pitch clock. Let's reduce mound visits. No baseball fans care about that crap. We're trying to bring new fans in. Well, I'm sorry, but a 22nd pitch clock is not going to bring in a new fan. You either like, you know, the game or you don't. I don't think it's going to matter. I think that's probably the biggest point to bring up. You're you're absolutely right. These are all bent around the idea and the obsession that you're going to bring in new fans because you speed up the game. 
Whether right now, what is a baseball game average? Three hours and some change, something like that. I think it's actually a little less than three on average. Is it really? Yeah. Well, I, I think they like to create the narrative that it's more than three hours. I know there's 162 games, but the fact of the matter is this: like you're not going to bring in more people if you speed it up 30 minutes. It's not going to happen. And and I, for one, enjoy the strategy involved about being able to bring in an individual pitcher for one batter to win that one-on-one matchup. You know how many times I watched a game last year where you bring in one pitcher to do a job and the batter gets the better of him? It changes the whole complexity of the game. 20-second pitch clock. Next thing you know, they're going to have a clock on the batters to see how many timeouts they can take so they adjust their batting gloves and get their stance right. Like, this is ridiculous. Just let the game proceed as the way it is. The way you get more viewers in the game is you just keep good and good athletes out there. Let them play the game. Let them do what they do. Don't don't oversimplify the game by putting all these stupid rules in there. I don't need a 20-second pitch clock. It's making I, it too gimmicky. It, it is. like, And here's the thing. At the end of the day, if they installed every single one of the rules we talked about, if they installed the, the pitch clock, if they installed the you have to face three batter rule, if they installed – you know, the roster sizes and all these things that we brought up. People like you, me, and Biggs here, we're not going to stop watching baseball. We're still going to watch it. Are you going to attract any new fans? No, because they're not going to care about it one way or the other. So this is a bunch of just semantics, I think, that amount to nothing. If you have to put those rules into place to attract new fans, those aren't the fans that you want to attract. And on top of that, I think baseball is doing just fine as far as attendance at the ballparks. These rules are what more geared to the fans they think they can draw on TV because they're not having any attendance issues. So I'm not exactly sure where some of these are coming from. You know, we talked about the DHA, both leagues be the same. You know, I get that. The three batter, the 22nd, those are just so gimmicky. I, they're not baseball. Where all this comes from is because attendance last year dipped below, well, dipped 4% compared to the year before. It's under $75 million for the first time in 15 years. That's why everybody's losing their mind right now. If you had an attendance dip like that two seasons in a row, then maybe you would want to look at something. But for it to happen one season, I don't think that's uh, an alarm, and it didn't dip a huge amount. I mean, and I'm sorry, you got you got the Marlins, you got the Rays. Of course, the Rays, <laughs> the Rays are a good team. I feel like they should relocate them immediately. Where? Uh, me personally, it's either got to be to Nashville, uh, Nashville. All right, or to uh, I'm, I'm just I'm old school. We've got to bring a team back to Montreal at some point. Montreal, I love it. The Expos. I want the, I want those old Expos of jerseys too. I love them. Montreal Expos drafted Tom Brady in 1996. I love the Expos better than the Nationals. Hey, man, Andre Dawson played for the Expos. And Larry Walker. (laughs) He did. (laughs) All-star before course, contrary to Biggs' belief. (laughs) We've done got off the rails. All right, so overwhelmingly, it seems like we all hate the rules in the baseball uh, thought process here, but yeah, I think the DH one, going back to that for a minute, like we don't care one way or the other. Personally, me, I would rather see no DH, period, in baseball because 
I think it adds to strategy, but that's just me. I mean, can I run through a quick few small ones here? Hit us. All right, so we got also the plan to uh, expand to 26 people on the roster, 12 uh, pitcher maximum. I don't really have a problem with that because the game has changed. The specialists have changed. I'm all for the 26 pitcher, which would also, I feel like, eliminate the three minimum pitcher uh, for the Right. You, if you do that one, Three it, minimum kills, batter. it kills the other one. Right? I, I like the 26-player roster myself. All right. And this is a big one. I love this one because there's a lot of owners that's tanking or getting a lot of money, and they're the not putting in the field. One? Yeah. It says draft advantages for winning teams and penalties for losing teams. Now, that don't say that you automatically get the first pick, but there's going to be advantages to winning and disadvantages to losing, which means the owners are going to be less likely to pocket their uh, TV deals. But I think sometimes you can't avoid that no matter what. There's a reason why the Royals, like the Royals were bad for like the past 20 years, and they tried to draft players, but it just didn't work out. But there's teams it would apply to. Uh, I know. But I like it. But you're kind of getting in the same ballpark of like doing the NBA draft lottery at that point. No, but I, I'd like to see what the details are, but I'm intrigued by that one. I'm not a fan of that one. All right, so I don't think it fixes anything. Study to lower the mound. I don't think that's necessary. And then, lastly, uh, a rule. This is the Kyler Murray rule. A rule, <laughs> a, a rule that would allow two sport amateurs to sign major league contracts, which would make it more enticing to sign with major league baseball instead of going to NFL or NBA, wherever they need to go. Probably NFL. Yeah. So the one on the ball roster expansion is something that has always gotten me. In regular season, you're sitting at what a 25 man roster. Yeah. Don't you expand to 40 during the playoffs? Just during the uh, September. Just during September. Back in October, well, back to they 25. do need to kill that, and I'll tell you why. I go back to twenty-five. And I know that it's just the expansion there, but a and you could still expand in September, but a constant roster of like a twenty-six or twenty-eight man would eliminate some of these other uh, issues. I think you're talking about with like the three batter minimum roster expansion. To me, uh, is the one that I would like to see, even if it were only by. Uh, two positions or two slots on each roster. Now, I'm I'm all about I'm I'm against roster expansion to a certain degree, and I'll tell you why. Is because you had a year like last year where the Dodgers essentially had like a left-handed lineup and a right-handed lineup. Like I hate that crap. Like you need to be mm. able to have people that can come out there and be able to go both ways. That's the way it needs to be. Like when you can carry forty guys in a in a game in September, and you can have one set of nine guys that are going to bat in this game. And next game be different. Like that's ridiculous to me. At the end of the day, you got to be able to get the most out of the players you have. Don't make it to the point where you have so many utility batters that just because you're playing a left-handed pitcher today, that you're going to have a completely different starting lineup. I think no, that's ridiculous. I'll tell you this right now: when I saw that lineup in the playoffs, because we played them in the the Braves, played them in the division series. I have never seen a lefty-righty lineup based on matchups like Dave Roberts did. It was ridiculous. But I'm telling you this right now. If I was managing the Braves, I would have threw out my scrub pitcher from the bullpen. Like, like after the first inning, right? Like, but I would have said, like, it was a guy that could have went a few innings and they wouldn't really know. And I'd have been like, he's right-handed. Then they start their left-handed lineup. Then I'd immediately brought in Sean Newcomb, a lefty, and be like, are you going to sub or are you going to go? Let's go, boys. But the problem is when you got a 40-man roster you can sub from, they I'm could. I'm talking about the playoffs. Well, the playoffs. That's 25. All right, you're right. So That's what I would have done with that lefty-righty. In the playoffs, that would have, you're 100% right. But I think the fact that all of a sudden in September on your road to the playoffs that you can do that, I think that's stupid. I'm just saying I was screaming at my TV like, Snicker, 
freaking throw this dummy in there and let him pitch a few innings and then bring in Newcomb and be like, now what are you going to do the rest of the game? you got to sub your whole bench out. And they might have been able to do that. And then pitchers batting the rest of the game. <laughs> it's a win-win. So you were ahead of the game there because didn't the Brewers pull something like that in one of the NLCS uh, games? They did. So and that's I'm, the smart move, what you were saying right there. Use it against them. And, and like, again, I'm all for the strategy, but I think at the, the same point, I think you're getting too many people eligible on the roster leading into the postseason. I think you got to tighten it up. You know, dance with the ones who brought you. If they're good enough to get it done, they are. If not, then it is what it is. Don't make it where you can constantly call up these guys from triple-A ball and throw them out there just because you need them for a series because you see the matchup is going to have you against lefties more than righties. Yeah, I, I don't like it either because you have pay, playoff imp, implications on the line and you're expanding the roster like that. You can just bring in pinch, hit, pinch uh, runners, pinch hitters, bullpen guys you wouldn't normally use. You're saving your bullpen. There's so many things you're doing to uh, kind of change the uh, – playoff race yeah let's not re- let's not completely remove the term five tool player where you need somebody that can do a little bit of everything let's let's still have the guys that can come out and be hall of famers and not just be a really good guy from the fifth to seventh inning that's good on the base path i mean here we don't know sports we absolutely love mike trout so mike trout if you're listening uh buddy we love you we'll be live next week if you want to call in yeah <laughs> best player in baseball he Absolutely. is, right? Yeah. It's I'd, not close. If you had to compare uh, Trout to, to anybody else in history, I, I got one on top of my head, but just wondering. Who do you compare Trout to? Who is he? I don't know if I have one like – I don't know. I mean, I, I'll, I'll give you the bone. I'll throw it now. It's it's Mickey Mantle. I, I was thinking of Mantle, actually, but I didn't have the stats in front of me. But yeah, I, mean, I don't either, but I'm just saying, just knowing what I know about both, he's – He's the closest thing to Mickey Mantle we have. To me, he's kind of like a uh, – not really like – this is going to be a crazy comparison. Unless he gets hurt, he reminds me of like what Griffey did coming up through the ranks, only he's right-handed. Just like He's just like a, a good player. Griffey had a little bit more swagger. I got that. But great defenders, great base runners, great hitters, could carry a team. And But, Griff, you know, Griffey got hurt and his body didn't hold on. He's but, very mean, similar to Griffey. That's, that's just my – Completely different players, but that's what you know. What I mean, that's what I'm saying. I I don't even know if you can necessarily sit there and say completely different and feel that good about it. They're not that different. Just one bat's left and one bat's right. That's it. Yeah. All over the place. The one thing that I uh, bothers me about Mike Trout, as far as a national appeal, is he plays in L.A. or the L.A. California Anaheim, whatever Angels, and he's not plastered everywhere i feel like people are missing out on how great he is that's mlb's fault they don't know how to get their stars out there mike trout is the best baseball player from the past 20 years and they don't know how to put his name out they'd rather they'd rather promote like a bryce harper because uh trout has no swagger he just does his business i mean puts up numbers year after year dude he is a he is a family-oriented guy he loves his mom and dad that's how he looks at life he comes out. He married his high school sweetheart. I mean, he he uh, says his prayers and eats his vitamins. He does. I mean, come on, brother. I mean, <laughs> brother. I he is. He's not. He's not going to get in the news for anything other than the way he plays the game and the fact that you know baseball is still a, a 
very strong East Coast bias. Like, we don't give him the love that he deserves. And I hate, I hate that he's on the Angels. I wish he was on the East Coast team because I'd like to watch him more. But he is unbelievable. And there's nobody that's even close to him. No, like, like by, if he continues this pace by the time he's said and done, you're going to put his name up there in the annals of history with anybody else. I'm talking about Babe Ruth and Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle and King Griffey Jr. and Barry Bonds and Hank Aaron and all those guys. He's right there. Unanimous. That's never happened. <laughs> it will. <laughs> he just, I'm waiting on him to say something. Just, say something, Biggie. He's staring at me like Bill Belichick in his hoodie. Well, I'm excited for the regular season to take place. You know, spring training is going to be exciting, and we're in the Cactus League, and the Grapefruit League is, you know, it's, it's a pretty competitive league too, but we're looking forward to seeing what we can bring out here with the 85 different individuals from minor league that we have, and we're looking forward for opening day. Don't so, forget Kyler Murray, Bill. Yeah, and Kyler Murray. Yeah, Kyler Murray. We, uh, Oakland A's, you know, Billy Bean. Yeah, all the, yeah, Kyler Murray. Moneyball. Moneyball. Heck of a player. <laughs> All I'll say, Mr. Brown, is that, you know, this has got to be kid approved and I already dropped one F-bomb, so I'll just say. I'll bleep it out. You have a good night. That's all you got? How the f*** are you, man? (laughs) Are you f***ing kidding me? He never used everything he had was God-given talent. If anything, he'd have worked out harder. He could have prevented some of those injuries. He isn't unanimous. Get out of here. Nobody else ever is then. Who are you even talking about? You guys so upset we didn't even pay attention. I didn't hear it. I didn't even know who that was even about. Can you do that whole rant over again? Yeah, start over. Well, I don't know if I can. <laughs> who are you talking about? Who are you about? talking about? Ken Griffey Jr. Okay. That kind of makes Not sense. Because Mr. Brown said unanimous. And I know he was saying, because I always tell him, if Junior isn't unanimous, nobody in the history of the game is. Well, yeah, I'm saying Mike Trout will be. Yeah, we were we were joking about how there's already been a unanimous one, but I understand your hatred. Because Griffey could have been unanimous, too. He should have been, but so, so should have Maddox, and I'm not acting like I'm going to cry about A it. lot of people, right? Well, Babe Ruth. How was Babe Ruth not a unanimous pick? Well, because that was in 1936. And they, they were putting in, like, guys from the past 50 years then, so. Ted Williams and all those guys. No, Ted Williams wasn't. Hank Aaron wasn't. So we can't say Griffey's the guy. All we're saying is is that Mo has changed the uh, barrier here. For the good. And now uh, I think there's going to be more to follow. I think Jeter gets it next year. Yeah, I'm glad. Well, Jeter should by default based on who. If Mo gets it, Jeter should get it. And the only way Jeter doesn't get it is if they decide to miraculously put some of the steroid users in. Yeah. Which isn't going to happen. Jeter will get it. So, hey, we'll leave on this as we depart for the night and we look forward to our conversation next week with all the different things that might, you know, come about before we uh, reconvene again. As a Reds fan, even though this is well before my time, Frank Robinson passed away today at the age of, I think, 83. And uh, it's the second Robinson to break the collar barrier in Major League Baseball. Only this time it was for coaching. First ever manager. He was the first ever minority manager. And, and, you know, I was – I'm upset that he's in the Hall of Fame as an Oriole because I feel like he did a lot of good with the Reds. But he won a World Series with the Orioles, or two, actually. Won an MVP in both leagues. And he's he's the first guy to win. I mean, for those who don't know who Frank Robinson Robinson is – you know, do a Wikipedia search, do something, because this guy's unbelievable. 
And he's one of those guys, if you like the throwbacks, the guys that just played hard, you know, would slide the cleats up, whatever you want to say. He was a hard-nosed guy, and he was a heck of a manager. True baseball pioneer. He, he absolutely was. And I heard a story that the last managerial job he had was with the Nationals. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the guy's name, and for the love of for the love of the game, it's probably best I don't know it. But there was a catcher. They were playing the Diamondbacks, I think. And the catcher for the Nationals had let seven different guys steal a base on him. And Frank Robinson took him out of the game. And when they started talking to him after the game in the post game in the press conference about why he took him out of the game, he got emotional. He started crying a little bit. He teared up. And it wasn't because he felt like he had to take him out. But Frank Robinson's answer was, this guy's a professional, and he deserves to be better treated than what people are going to make it out to be because he got stolen on seven different times. That He took him out of the game for his own good so people wouldn't just hate him forever because they thought he wasn't a good catcher. That's the type of guy Frank Robinson.